we are the most educated, the most liberated, the most informed, freest women in the world. And with that freedom comes a responsibility. And I believe we have a responsibility to help our sisters wherever they are. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with influencers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good in all kinds of interesting ways. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is one of the scientifically proven ways we can age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow zestful ager, and my goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and my book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. While you're there, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at upcoming episodes and other fun tidbits. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. Ever wonder what the host of Zestful Aging does when she's not podcasting? Creating one-of-a-kind earrings, of course. I've just opened an Etsy shop called Zestful Design, no S, and it showcases my fun, comfortable, and zesty polymer earrings. These earrings are fun to make and fun to wear. So check out my new shop, Zestful Design, on Etsy. Well, I love speaking with smart women who advocate for other women across the globe. And today we'll be speaking with Pam Varconi, who has worked on four continents as a writer and advocate covering topics from business ethics to the status of women in the developing world. She's won numerous awards and recognition for her writing and humanitarian work and has twice traveled to Afghanistan. However, the recent political events there brought all of her other projects to a halt as she focused on chronicling the stories of her Afghan friends and doing what she could to assist their escape. Pam has been published in major U.S. newspapers and magazines and heard on NPR. And in 2017, she was named a Pearl S. Buck International Woman of Influence. Welcome to the show, Pam. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Oh, I'm really excited to speak with you. Let's just start with your uh, beginning career. You were in advertising and public relations, and you were very focused on your career. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I think that most women of my generation were talking about zestful aging, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, leading edge of the baby boom, which is what I am. Uh, I think when we finally got the opportunity to go into the workplace and have real jobs, uh, 
I think a lot of us were really took that very seriously and wanted to make our mark. And I know I certainly did. And I was, um, I was very enthusiastic about my career and I focused on it a lot. And I had uh, a very successful career, I think, and ended up owning my own advertising, uh, marketing and PR firm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was, um, Women's liberation of the 70s gave me that opportunity. <laughs> and to, you took it uh, all the way. I, I took it and ran with it. And uh, I was very serious about my career. I did during that time get married and have children and everything. But uh, most of us did who went into the workplace. Uh, we were married and had children and mm-hmm. we balanced all those balls in the air. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was uh, it was a wonderful career. And, you know, the nice thing about advertising and PR, Nicole, is it exposes you to so many different, you know, people and industries and jobs. And, uh, you know, you're not just focused on one industry if you as if you worked for a company that makes widgets. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and all you would know about is the widget. Well, if you're in the advertising, marketing and PR business, you have to become part of the companies that you're representing and you're working for. So you get a lot of broad based knowledge and you you see a lot of different experiences. And one of the things that I started to observe was that even though uh, there were a lot more women in the workplace and women were moving up into middle management uh, positions, there was still a lot of women being held down, not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. There was still a lot of sexual harassment mm-hmm. that was everybody looked the other way. I see, and so glass ceiling kind of. Uh, yeah, there stuff was there, there was there was definitely a glass ceiling, and uh, there was definitely a boys' club about um, about sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. So that was um, that that was the discouraging part of being in the workplace, and um, when I had my own advertising agency. I had the luxury of having an all-woman ad agency. Oh my goodness! Yep, I only I only <laughs> hired women. I'm surprised I wasn't sued for reverse sexual discrimination. Oh my goodness! And every once in a while, in my you know seven eight years that I owned the agency, I would hire a man. There'd be a man who was very qualified for a position, and I would hire him. And every time I hired a man, it threw the chemistry. <laughs> through the balance <laughs> in the agency off. <laughs> That's so interesting. And and so did did he typically leave or uh, did you have a conversation? Yeah, yeah. Usually uh I'm it is almost always it only happened two or three times in all the years I had the agency that I I did hire a man. But it almost always ended up that it was kind of a mutual agreement kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He he felt like he didn't fit and mm-hmm. he and he didn't fit. <laughs> That's, I bet there could be some really interesting case studies about that. Oh, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. So you were really gung-ho doing a lot of good work, being successful in advertising and PR. What started to change for you um, in that you wanted to broaden your focus to international work? Well, uh, I um, I had a family tragedy 
Uh, you know, when you're going along and life is so good and I had my own agency and I was very involved in my community and sat on the board of the Chamber of Commerce. So, I mean, life just, I had a happy marriage. Mm-hmm. Life just couldn't have been better. Uh, that's when life comes and blindsides you. And, um, uh, my, um, uh, my oldest daughter was killed in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And so things were going along, you know, full full steam, and then this happens. Yeah, and there's... Um there is just nothing that will that will knock you down faster than the loss mm-hmm. of a child. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Uh, I was I was fortunate in that uh, there's almost nothing fortunate about these circumstances, but I was fortunate in that the agency was successful and had a very good reputation, and I put it with a business broker, and it was sold within 30 days. Oh, my goodness. So I was able to just go home uh, and and just heal. I laid on the floor in the fetal position mm-hmm. in her in her mm-hmm. bedroom and oh my goodness. Uh, and I did that for almost a year. And when I was ready to kind of rejoin the world, um, of course, I had a non-compete agreement with the people who bought my agency, so I couldn't really go back into the advertising and PR business. Uh, so I started to do um, training. I, I started to do, I, I had developed a sense while I was grieving over that year. I had developed a sense that when I went back out into the world, I, I wanted to be more of an influencer, to use a modern term, mm-hmm. uh, than uh, than simply a successful business executive. And when you think of the word influencer, what comes to mind? I, I think of someone who uh, people will listen to and who, someone who's capable of starting a conversation and having people maybe look at things from a different point of view or look at something that they hadn't thought about before. And so I, I wanted to highlight the fact that women needed to be empowered. They needed to have opportunities for leadership. And that was kind of the outside view of it. But the inside view of it for women themselves was, hey, you have got to speak up and you have you have got to stand your ground and you have to show some some courage. And uh, so I, I started to um, I started to write columns and, and write freelance articles and I started to do lectures and people started asking me and paying me to speak uh, at their organization and the more I did that, uh, the more I realized how important it really was and how thirsty and hungry uh, the average woman in the workplace was for reinforcement and information and, um, and, and a feeling that she could really, she could do it. She could advance her career if she really wanted to. If you like this podcast, you'll love my companion courses, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity, and The Wisdom of Mindful Eating. Now, for one month only, I'm putting 
both of my online courses on a radical sale. Both the Wisdom of Mindful Eating and Zestful Aging will be $19.99 each. Both of these courses have received rave reviews. They're fun, straightforward, and have the ability to change your life in the direction of more peace and less stress about eating and around aging. No extreme diets or punishing exercise. More about creating habits that feel good and are sustainable, which is health promoting and leads to a longer, happier life. This offer will expire January 31st. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Now back to the show. Was was some of that message born from what came out of your grief in that year? Well, I think so. Um, it, it, you know, that level of grief really strips you down to your basics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think I, I came out of that with a sense of what I myself had been through and what I had put up with as a young woman. Uh, and I came out a little bit angry um, that I'd had to endure that because when I first started out and I was interviewing for jobs and um, I was working for other people, I was, you know, a young woman in the workplace. Um, I had some really humiliating experiences and, uh, you know, you, men, you're talking about the sexual harassment. Yeah. Yeah. Men asking me to raise my skirt to see if my legs were good enough to get hired. Uh, I, I mean, mm-hmm. those things really happened to me and, uh, they happened to a lot of other women I know. Uh, in fact, when the, uh, Me Too movement was really in its heyday a few years ago, I wrote a, a newspaper column. I used to write regularly for Tribune Media. And I wrote a a newspaper column and I took an informal survey. I took about a month to do it uh, of women that I know well and women that I knew casually. And I probably interviewed, I don't know, maybe 60 or 70 women total. And 70% of the women I interviewed said they had had some fairly traumatic <laughs> sexual harassment uh, event uh, in their career. 70%. And the women ranged in age from 27 to 70. And would you, I know this is impossible to answer, but, and you'll have to forgive me because you know I'm a psychotherapist, but I'm just trying to understand how the death of your daughter factored into this and how it gave you the voice um, to and to champion other women and how the that sort of came together for you to say I know what I need to do well I became very introspective during that time mm-hmm. um, I mean for <laughs> I, I suppose the the first motive was 
was guilt. Um, how did I live my life that this happened to her? Could I have done anything to stop it or change it? Did I miss something? And it was totally, it was a total accident. She had a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, you know, she didn't commit suicide. Mm-hmm. It was, it, but still, as her mother, I felt responsible and I felt like I should have been able to protect her. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think it started with that look at myself about what have I done that I could have done differently? Did I contribute to this in any way? And in the process of that, I think, I, you know, I started, you play that tape in your head, you know, it's mm-hmm. like a movie. Mm-hmm. And I started, you know, looking back at my career and my attitudes and some of the things I'd been through. And and there wasn't just a negative to it, Nicole, there was also a positive to it. I wanted to come out of that grief doing something, living a life that would honor her. That she, that would make her proud of me. So it was a it was a double whammy. There was a, there was a, a a negative in that I realized how I had had to fight and struggle and put up with humiliating things to get to where I was. And then there was the positive aspect of it of like. I want her to be proud of me. I don't want any other young women to ever have to go through that. And I want the world to be a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And you were, it was a gift. In, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean your, your daughter's passing. I mean, you know, you were thinking about how can I contribute? And I have I have all of this to offer now. Well, you know and the Buddhists the Buddhists believe in the yin and the yang. That for mm-hmm. even the worst possible energy, the worst possible thing that can happen, there is always some positive energy associated with it. And if you are a true practitioner, uh, you can find that positive energy and you can use it. Mm-hmm. Is that how you think about that it? That it is how I think mm-hmm. about it. I mean, mm-hmm. her her death put me on an entirely different path. Yes. Yes, I can see that. And so you really real, started to orient yourself differently as you came out of your grief and your mourning and speaking up, sharing with other women, being an advocate, and... How was it that you uh, cast your eye on Afghanistan and international uh, humanitarian efforts? Well, um, a lot of it has to do with network. Um, You know, we women are so good at building teams and building networks and Mm -hmm. supporting each other. I, I know that sometimes the people like to say, oh, women, they're catty and they're mean to each other. That has never been or hardly ever been my experience. My entire life has been, to me, uh, an example of women helping each other, whether I'm the one being helped or I'm the one helping someone else. Mm -hmm. I have always, I have found women in my life to be very supportive. Um, And I, I, I think... 
that part of that network is when we have a need, we look around for someone in our network. Um, my, my number isn't exactly correct, but the, 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 the feeling is correct. There's a statistic out there that something like 80% of all jobs in a mid-management level and up are never make it into you know, uh, never make it onto Indeed. <laughs> they get filled through somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, your network is so important. And what happened is um, I was very friendly with our U.S. congressman and his wife. I lived in Pennsylvania at the time. And uh, I was very uh good friends with our congressman, and he was very involved in Afghan affairs in in the Congress. And he was tasked with helping to start an Afghan-American Chamber of Commerce. And when he started to look into that, he realized that the cultural differences were very real and that there would need to be a women's Afghan American Chamber of Commerce and a men's Afghan American <laughs> Chamber of Commerce. They, okay. They would not be able to exist in the same room in the same space. They would have to be two separate organizations. So he called me and asked me to come to a meeting in Washington, D.C. to see if I would like to help structure and set up this Afghan American Women's Chamber of Commerce. Do you remember uh, what it was like? Do you remember being like excited or nervous or it's a pretty big deal? Well, I'd already been in in politics and uh, I was serving on uh, my city's uh, city council. I had been elected to office. The governor of Pennsylvania had appointed me to the state women's commission. I was a state commissioner for women's affairs. So I wasn't quite as excited or intimidated as I might have been otherwise. I see. (laughs) But it certainly was uh, very flattering to be asked. And at that meeting, I met a woman by the name of Tony Maloney. And Tony was the founder of an organization called the Business Council for Peace, which was an organization that focused on international uh, conflict countries, helping women in those conflict countries rebuild their lives and build businesses. And Tony and I really hit it off. We just had mm. instant chemistry. And the Amer- Afghan-American Women's Chamber of Commerce never came to fruition. But six months later, Tony and I were headed for Afghanistan. Oh, my goodness. And she found the perfect person in you as someone who was had been a professional businesswoman and also now someone who wanted to contribute to the empowerment of women uh, internationally. Uh, so Tony had put a team together, a team of wonderful, capable, competent women, and we headed to Afghanistan. And uh, as they say, the rest the rest is history. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with mm-hmm. Afghanistan. And, and what particular drew you in? You know, I think it's the um, I, I I think it's the courage and the resiliency. I mean, these women have been through hell 
for a very long time. I mean, at that time, the country had been at war for like 20 or 30 years. I mean, they were being beheaded in soccer stadiums. It was just, they were being beaten on the street. Uh, it was, it was just horrendous what they had come out of. And here they had this opportunity now to, you know, kind of throw off that yoke and, um, and really, you know, rise. I, I think I recognized something of us, of American women in them, in that we had gone through a period where we, I mean, we couldn't vote at the beginning of the 20th century. Right. Right. So, um, I, I think I recognize that courage and that resiliency and that determination uh, that they have. And they're so smart and uh, and they're very kind. I, I just I just fell in love with Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and particularly mm-hmm. the women. And it's when you're in the country and you're traveling around the country, you realize how very beautiful it is. You know, the newscasts, you only see blown up villages and dusty deserts and things mm, like that's that. That's right. But Afghanistan is, it has, it has many parts that are very, very beautiful. Some of the most beautiful rose gardens I've ever seen are in Afghanistan. Wow. So, so you immediately just had this connection and with the culture, it sounds like, the geography and the spirit of the women. Well, they really wanted to succeed. These women really wanted to succeed, and they were going to take, they were going to squeeze every ounce of knowledge and energy and opportunity out of the situation they were in that they possibly could. And uh, it was a pleasure to work with them. It was a joy to work with them. And what has been uh, what has been so tragic is to see this uh, now uh, all rolled back. That's mm-hmm. that's been tragic. Must have been very painful for you um, with the withdrawal and and knowing people personally, and 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 were, I suspect you were worrying about them and thinking about are they okay? You know, are they safe? Well, I was getting emails and and text messages. Please help me. Please help me. And and you can't, I couldn't, there was very, very little I could do at that point. By the time the evacuation started, it was such chaos and such a nightmare that there was just almost nothing that could be done. I do have friends that made it out. And they're now, we're trying to get them as resettled as possible. And... I have friends that made it to the U.S. and they're trying to get resettled. And then I have friends who made it. I have a friend who's stuck in Uzbekistan mm. and can't get out of Uzbekistan. Mm. And he was going to try to get a, uh, he and his wife and his three small children were going to try to get to Mexico. And of course, Mexico realized that they've got a captive audience who is desperate and they're now charging nine thousand dollars for one visa Mm. to come to mexico oh my goodness so uh it that's that's been very hard and of course i have friends that are still there i i think they're stuck and some of them are in hiding some of them have started to to venture out to test the waters and um Mm. it's it's very very difficult um 
one of the things that uh, I'm working on right now, because there is nothing that I can do personally to help them get out of Afghanistan. I mean, that's way above my pay grade. But I am working on a project with the International Women's Writing Guild to have Afghan women write their stories and send them to me. And we're going to work on them and edit them, translate them if we have to, and uh, pay them for the stories because money is a real issue in Afghanistan right now. They're, mm-hmm. the, the, the financial system has basically collapsed. Mm-hmm. And we are going to publish those stories and distribute them to schools and libraries and use them as inspiration and keep these women's stories in front of the public because it's very important for, you know, we Americans have such short attention spans Mm -hmm. and you already don't hear anything about Afghanistan. It's pretty much fallen off the media radar screen. And we want to keep those stories in front of people so that they understand there are still women, everybody, there are still men too, and children who are suffering in Afghanistan and they need help, they need support, they need hope. And so uh, we're hoping that the stories that we publish in this book that we publish will, um, will help give them some hope and will keep their stories in the public eye. Ultimately, Pam, what are you hoping to achieve with this project? Well, the ultimate hope, of course, uh, would be that we could shame the Taliban or put outside international pressure on the Taliban to let some of these people go. Uh, I mean, you take you you can't even try to get out because you have to go to a government office to either get a passport and or get a visa. And the minute you go to a government office to do that, you've identified yourself as someone who wants to leave. Mm-hmm. So um, we're hoping that there'll be enough international pressure, enough awareness uh, created that people are suffering and that uh, people are not free to live their lives as they want. They're not free to leave if they want to. And we're hoping that we can just continue to create awareness and keep the pressure on. And quite frankly, um, I'm also, I personally am also hoping that we can create enough energy to start creating some underground railroads. I uh, see. Just like they did in the South 150 years ago. I, I, I think that there's going to have to start to be efforts surreptitious to get surreptitiously get people out of the country because once they're beyond Afghanistan's borders they have a better chance of being able to um, well they at least would be free in that country even if they couldn't get a visa to the United States so even as a refugee they'd be better off than living inside well the if, country with a Taliban rule well if they're if if they're in a high risk group, and the women that we worked with that were working with an American nonprofit that were trying to start their own businesses, they're, they're in a high-risk group. Mm-hmm. So you don't really trust that this is a new and improved Taliban? 
Uh, no. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. so far, I will admit they have not been as openly brutal. What's going on behind the scenes that we don't know about mm-hmm. is another matter. But they have not been as openly brutal as they were before they were toppled uh, in 2001. So I suppose there's something to be said for that. But girls cannot go to school. Uh, beyond the age of, of 12, of puberty. Sixth grade is as far, they've closed all the schools, all the universities for women. Mm-hmm. They have uh, removed all women from government jobs. They've removed all women from media. So, <laughs> you know, maybe right. they're not cutting off someone's head in a, in yeah. a soccer stadium, but, right. but those it's are... systemic. Those are pretty um, drastic situations. Yeah. How do you keep your hope up, Pam, knowing what you know and um, how complicated and entrenched this problem is? How do you personally, I mean, we have so much here going on. How do you keep your energy and and a positive uh, outlook? Uh, I have tremendous faith in the human spirit. Uh, I mean, if if people can survive Auschwitz, mm-hmm. they they can survive the Taliban, and uh, I think that you've got a whole generation of Afghans because we occupied the country. We were in the country. Uh, the Allied forces were in the country for twenty years. Mm-hmm. So you have one entire generation that is 20-something that never lived under the Taliban before. And I really do believe that they are not going to sit down quietly and just live under these these new rules. I, I Maybe I'm overly optimistic. Well, it's like East Germany, too. I mean, it's a similar... It, it, it's not the same thing, but... Um people really yearning for freedom. Absolutely. And uh, and this younger generation that has only experienced freedom and being able to go to work and being able to go to school, I, I don't know how long-term they're going to allow that to be rolled back. So I just have, and like I said, I've, I've worked in the trenches uh, with Afghan women, and I just admire them so much. They have tremendous courage and strength, and I just believe eventually uh, they're going to prevail. Mm-hmm. And are you making plans to go back? Is that even possible? No, given no, 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 I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend to uh, to be thinking about something like that. I consider myself pretty brave, but that's just foolish. Uh, mm, okay. you, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't last 10 minutes mm-hmm. off the airplane. <laughs> I see. Do you have um, kind of a message that you would like to share with our listeners in terms of what you've learned in working uh, with Afghani women and, and hearing their stories? Well, I think it's very important for all of us to know how much power we really have and how much strength we really have. It's very easy 
in our culture and our society to live a very comfortable, easy life. But I think it's important for us to remember how impactful we can be when we speak up and when we do something. I mean, sometimes that's as simple as writing a check uh, to an NGO that's doing good work. But I would like to think that women um, in the in the United States, particularly, would would rise up in defense and in help of their sisters. Uh, we have an obligation, you know. The Dalai Lama. It's one of my favorite quotes. The Dalai Lama said, "The world is going to be saved by the Western woman." Mm-hmm. And I believe that to be true. We are the most educated, the most liberated, the most informed, freest women in the world. And with that freedom comes a responsibility. And I believe we have a responsibility to help our sisters wherever they are. Mm-hmm. I love that that idea of sisterhood. I don't know that everybody looks at it that way. I mean, they're different culturally, um, perhaps a different religion. Uh, and I love the idea of, of thinking about these women as our sisters. Well, they are. They, they want the same thing. They want peace. They, they want to be able to go to the market and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and cook dinner for their family. Mm-hmm. And they want their kids to grow up healthy and be educated. And it's, we're so much more similar than we are dissimilar. Mm-hmm. We really do want the same things, don't we? Yes. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. That's really something so thought provoking terms of the the western uh, woman and what we have and what we need to do um i know that you have um been doing work with the international women's writing guild and i'm wondering if you'd like to tell our audience how they can find out more about that um and how they can find out more about you and your other work Well, thank you very much for that opportunity. I do have a website, and my website is PamelaVarconi.com, P-A-M-E-L-A-V-A-R-K-O-N-Y.com. And uh, I have a contact sheet on there. Uh, I also uh, can be reached just directly by my email, which is Pam at PamelaVarconi.com. And the uh, International Women's Writing Guild also has a website, Mm-hmm. And uh, that is uh, iwwg.org. iwwg.org. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, you can go there and find out about the wonderful work that they're doing. The Afghan uh, Women Writers Project is one of the projects that they're running right now. And um, they're a wonderful organization, as is Be Peace, the Business Council for Peace. That's mm-hmm. be, that's bepeace.org. Okay. So uh, there's lots of options to, uh, to connect with women who are doing things and finding out what you can do to help. What a beautiful way to start the new year. It certainly is. I think we mm-hmm. should, it should be one of our resolutions that we're going to do something 
to help at least one other woman improve her life in 2022. Oh my gosh. Well, that is absolutely beautiful. Um, and what I'd like to do is put out a challenge for our audience who are all over the world and um, have been thinking about this uh, conflict from different perspectives. Um, I'd like to put out a challenge about how we can help another woman um, as, a, as a resolution and feel free to send that information to me at zestfulaging.com. I'd love to hear what you're doing for other women. And as a psychotherapist who works with people who have trouble with eating disorders and other kind of uh, ailments like that, I think doing something for others is such a, such a healthful way to take the focus off, you know, our wounds, our pain, our trauma. Um, and to help one of our sisters, um, it can be tremendously healing for us as well as somebody else. Well, it certainly helped me with my grief. Mm -hmm. Yes. Pam, thank you so much for opening up and being so honest about, you know, your life and, um, where you were really succeeding, where you struggled, where that brought you, and um, and this um, contribution you're making to this uh, this global effort, so appreciated. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, Nicole. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the 
clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. 